Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to New Books and Sociology, a channel on New Books Network. My name is Michael Johnston, and I am the host on this network. Today I have Dr. Musher to discuss a new book titled Global Agenda for Social Justice 2 by Policy Press, published just this year, 2022. Welcome to the show, Dr. Musher. Oh, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Johnston. Uh, however, please uh, feel welcome to call me Glenn. Uh, no need to be so formal. Thank you. All right. Excellent. And Glenn is a professor of sociology at Khalifa University of Science and Technology at Abu Dhabi. Today we will be, again, discussing the uh, global agenda for social justice, too. And the first question I want to start off with is... What is it that that sparked the interest in creating this edited version? My understanding is that it started off as a originally as a U.S. social justice issue published in 2004. Is that accurate? Uh, yes, exactly. Uh, the the overall series, uh, the Agenda for Social Justice series, was inspired by the uh, 1999 uh, presidential address delivered by Professor Robert Perucci uh, of Purdue University. He's now Professor Emeritus. Uh, he's a, a longtime member of the SSSP, the Society for the Study of Social Problems. And uh, in his presidential address, he reminded the membership that we have gotten a bit uh, academic in our pursuits and called us in a way, uh, it inspired us to move back to a more public sociology. After all, the Society for the Study of Social Problems was uh, a branch off or a group moved a a bit away from the American Sociological Association, uh, who they uh, criticized for being uh, a a bit uh, overly academic and not uh, having as much uh, practical applications for uh, improvement of society. And so uh, he was pointing the finger back at the group uh, for Uh, exhibiting the same tendency that the American Sociological Association had exhibited. And so his call was for a public sociology that would capture uh, the essence of of pressing social problems, give the best information, most reliable information that is available for these problems, and then that would offer real concrete uh, solutions to either reduce or eliminate these social problems moving forward. Uh, the original uh, the original version was uh, called the Agenda for Social Justice, published in 2004, self-published by the SSSP. And uh, it was uh, then repeated in 2008, 12, 16, and 2020. And these volumes... Um, became increasingly uh, more polished and uh, more uh, ultimately we have a partnership with Policy Press, which is an imprint of 
uh, Bristol University Press in the UK, an academic publisher. And, uh, and so now it's kind of really a real kind of proper uh, published uh, book series. So we got tied up with uh, Br- uh, Bristol University Press or, or Policy Press because their a- acquisitions editor, uh, the chief of acquisitions, uh, Ms. Uh, Victoria Pittman, uh, took a trip to the U.S. and attended the uh, one of the Triple um, SP meetings and had a conversation with me and and wanted to. Uh, lay out a, a bit of a partnership between this publisher and our association. And so in 2016, we published the first, uh, we published the, the first of our uh, U.S. focused volumes with Policy Press. Somewhere uh, in the next year or so, uh, a conversation emerged around the topic of, well, four years is a long time to wait for for a series. So uh, is there something we can, we have any ideas for something to do in the middle? So in 20, for 2018, we published the first of our global agendas for social justice. And these are intended to come in between the uh, the, the US ones. So we're publishing now every, every other year and alternating between US focus uh, the timing of which coincides with major U.S. elections, like presidential elections, and then in the in between, we're publishing the uh, global focus ones. So this one that we're discussing today is the second of our global uh, focus volumes, which uh, we hope each of them makes an impact. However, we're also committed to building this series, uh, alternating between U.S. and global focus uh, moving forward. So most importantly, being public-facing, as you uh, started the conversation with, um, because as a uh, Society for the Study of Social Problems, as an organization, uh, it began as uh, one that is public-facing to present itself as something um, slightly different from ASA, correct? Absolutely. Um, the Triple SP, in fact, its flagship journal, Social Problems, was always intended to uh, offer concrete and uh, real world solutions to studying uh, real world social problems. It was never intended to be uh, completely just theoretical or, or abstract. Uh, it was always intended to be uh, have some sort of implied element. And then part of that is be being jargon free to to reduce the uh, um, I guess pompousness of you know jargon language that is understood maybe only by the ivory tower and maybe only used in the ivory tower. Absolutely. Uh, well, I, I call this one version of this language, this academic language, I call sociologies. And, you know, the, the, the last part of it is G's. And I think some people, when they read the books or the articles that are published by many professional social scientists, they say, oh, geez, uh, this is just too dense. And I, uh, you know, this isn't there something that we can read that would be rigorous and informed and have the basis in in kind of academics yet would be something that smart people can uh, access and that's the that's the uh, that's the focus of our audience we try uh, of course the academicians can read the 
the jargon free and they can kind of see between the lines a bit that there are that it's, it's grounded in rigorous social science however at the same time uh you know most of the Many of the readers that we're also targeting in this public sociology are are not as concerned with the with the finer details, and so basically we want to present the ideas to smart people who may not be experts in the fields, um, and you know think about like undergraduate students, uh, graduate students, or even even scholars who uh, are are working in different fields and may not be familiar with the focus of a specific a specific topic that in a chapter. And then of course, also policy, uh, people who are in, in social policy realms, right? Um, we're at sociology and other social science disciplines are at risk of being too esoteric and policy people in the policy field don't necessarily have the, the time, the available time. They're obviously smart people, but may not have the available time to go deep dive into things as academicians have, uh, you know, the, the resources to do. And so, uh, and then finally, just uh, the interested public around the world. Uh, there are these are these are social issues that affect uh, many of them, millions or even billions of people around the world. And so, uh, we want that to be uh, jargon free. Uh, we want it to be as as clear as possible. Uh, certainly not like kind of dumbed down as would be the term, right? But just sort of like let's let's be a bit more direct and and plain speaking. And the other thing is that you know English has uh, for good or bad become the uh, lingua franca, ironically, of uh, academics for most of the world. And so uh, we also have audience that is for whom English is a second language. And uh, even if it's a working language, uh, we also want to make sure that we're as clear as possible so so everyone can understand what we're trying to say. And that's uh, the next thing that I wanted to get to is the inclusiveness of this uh, of this edited version. Uh, I, I'm I'm uh, not surprised, but uh, I, I am very happy to see and very uh, glad to uh, to see that there are 32 different scholars from eight different countries included in this uh, in this edited version. Uh, what what do you see the significance of? Well, there's a there's a big significance in that uh, the the inclusivity of the uh, of the volume. Uh, well, it, it's impossible to include all topics and all people from everywhere. However, that's the the tendency and the goal. So, uh, we the mostly the topics are and the volumes are generated by the interests of the contributors. A call for papers goes out. And it says we're looking for contributors and we try to send it out as as broadly as possible. So it goes out through uh, various social science listservs and uh, Facebook sites and and various other forms of, of social media. And this includes on my part a specific attempt to send to uh Basically, go to the International Sociological Association, ask them to, pub- to publish our, uh, to publicize our call for papers or call for proposals. But then also, I go to 
pretty much every uh, there's a list of every sociology, social science association worldwide. And I will personally send an email to the, the administrative office or to the president or vice president, whoever is the uh, sometimes all of them and say, here's our call for papers. We would love to have, uh, you know, uh, scholars contributing from, say, the Albanian sociology society or albanian sociology association like you know the other asa right <laughs> and and uh you know frequently we get we get folks and uh, i personally am uh based in the middle east so uh, my uh, i i came up through the discipline in the u.s worked for 16 years at miami university and uh then in in 2019 uh i just decided to to up and move and came to the Middle East where I'm happily based, but it has led to a, a really a vast expansion in my network. So I have a lot of colleagues in, in various countries from Africa to South Asia to the Middle East and, and so on. And so I send it out to these folks or they see the posting on my social media. I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm famous and I know everybody, but you know, I, I have a, several thousand who follow my Twitter. And so you can uh, imagine that there's uh, several hundred who probably see that and frequently retweet and, and so on. And just being able to uh, have that connection on, you know, multiple continents. So being able to make those connections, I, I think that, uh, you know, having that, having that line from the United States to the Middle East has, has helped you better connect and, and, and has, uh, made this edited version better because of those connections. I do hope so, yes. And uh, so there were 11 different topical areas for social justice in this edited version. Did those uh, emerge naturally, or were they, they decided uh, prior to um, prior to the call for papers? Uh, those emerged in an organic way. So the call for papers goes out, and uh, the potential... Uh, uh, contributors will then submit their proposals. Uh, our editorial committee will review all of the proposals and then ultimately select the ones that are uh, that, that are the strongest that may have the, the highest impact. Some there is some small level, at which we do say, oh we would really love to have something on on a, on a massive, problem like climate change or or you know the white nationalism or something like that if the, for whatever volume and these seem to be like kind of a right of black lives matter for example me too movement like these are things that we see like as very current and and not you know current movements but sort of based on underlying sociological issues and conflicts and so sometimes we'll issue a small number of invites to people in these areas. If uh, we'll wait to see, we hope that they'll come in. But we, then we say, well, how can we publish a global something that doesn't have some at least one chapter on climate change? Right. And so then if something comes in organically, then then we'll, we'll snatch it and hold on to it. And if uh, it doesn't, then we'll issue a, a small number of uh, direct invitations to people in in that field or in that area of study. And the cool part about this is that the local and national news would potentially suggest that that 
there's no way that there's room for 11 different social justice matters and and, and to give this time to speak about these social justice issues that the news maybe won't even bat an eye at or only give a, a short blurb to, you know, adds to the conversation that otherwise might not be had. I agree. Uh, you know, uh, well, one thing I would like to point out is that we make no claim that we are comprehensive. So the 11 topics that we cover can hardly encompass all of the potential topics and social problems that we would like to discuss. So we make no claim to cover everything and everything to be like an exhaustive encyclopedia of, of social problems. On, on the other hand, uh, yeah, and we are limited to the who we can uh, get on board to contribute and, and work with us. Um, you know, there's, uh, it, that's a self-selected group, but uh, oftentimes it's a really great, uh, high-quality self-selected group. And it does bring to light some topics that may not be at, you know, that the news media has uh, various ways that people have discussed it, like the issue attention cycle, which is a very old concept. But, you know, but we see it as like, OK, the something happens and then the 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 media kind of helicopter in or, or, or parachute in, they, they cover something like a disaster. Uh, and then they're, and then they're out because uh, another earthquake happened somewhere else or another, uh, bombing happened somewhere else or another, um, you know, extrajudicial police, uh, killing happened somewhere else. Right. And so they don't necessarily focus on, something take take for example like black lives matter the issue is is emergent at at every repetitive repetition of a person of color being uh brutalized uh illegally or even killed in police custody however the underlying issue is hardly new right this sort of like devaluation of black and brown bodies and the police as an agent of the state that has a history in uh, policing kind of uh, racial segregation and and those kinds of things it's hardly new so we're trying to have a middle middle ground here where it, it's it's a focus on an issue that it's not a journal we aren't journalists because we don't just kind of have to to play to uh, the the daily audience or the weekly audience, as journalists might do, uh, we we our audience are people who have a, a bit of a deeper, uh, longer lasting concern for for social issues, and I think that's a kind of a middle ground. Um, one of the things I would talk about is that our group at the Triple SP also has uh, a, a series. Uh, we we publish rapid response volumes. And so uh, as we all got locked down around the world in 2020, the first half of 2020, everybody was sitting at home and uh, the conversation was going around with uh, many people saying, I, I, I don't want to just sit here. Like, how can I use my, uh, use my skills to, to help? And so uh, we, we com contacted uh University of Bristol or Bristol University Press or Policy Press, and we discussed, hey, what is the possibility to produce a rapid response volume? And so uh, we issued a call for papers for uh, social justice 
excuse me, uh, back that one up. We issued a call for papers for a volume on social problems in the age of COVID-19. And we said, how quickly can we get this out? So, you know, rather than having everybody just just like write something overnight and then put it on a blog, we said, let's what's what's the fastest that we can do in academic volume? And so what we did is uh, we issued a call for papers and within six weeks we had uh, gotten the gotten the proposals invited, uh, submitted, reviewed, asked for revisions and so on. In six weeks, we submitted a uh volume to policy press and within about five or six weeks they were able to do everything that they do on their end and we published an online uh you know ebook version uh within about about 12 weeks from the from the inception of the idea to the end and we when we issued the call for papers we had uh well over a hundred well over a hundred. I, I, if I remember correctly, it was somewhere up about 125 proposals. So we were able to select really from the, the best of, of this. It was a high number of proposals. Then, uh, and then the conversation came about like, well, we have some that are U.S. focused and some that are global, and we actually split it off into two volumes. So there's a Social Problems in the Age of COVID-19, Volume 1 and Volume 2, both published in 2020 and both part of this rapid response uh, project. And so uh, to have an academic book that has time to go through the process of a kind of vetting the vetting the submissions, uh, editing the submissions, revising, and then goes to a, an academic publisher for their proper uh, value add that they provide on their end within 12 weeks to have it available and come to market. Uh, that was, that, that was about as fast as it gets in, in my opinion, uh, it's hardly hardly possible to, to move much quicker than that. We're reaffirming the social, um, the social element of um, the social problems organization, and and how um, how important sociology and the social sciences are to uh, even medical uh, even medical related issues like COVID nineteen uh, was and without without that front facing without that uh, social justice element that exist with uh, society for the study of social problems uh i i don't know that uh, that the same would the same would occur in other organizations uh that's that's possibly true uh i, I mean this is the the triple sp has been my intellectual home and i have really enjoyed the aspect of it where uh the people are all uh, not just uh, interested in kind of being in the ivory tower and navel gazing, uh, but also have a strong issue interest rather in uh, in in applying the knowledge. And many of the people are also activists and uh, or work in policy areas as well, which is part of the the mission statement and uh, what. Um... What well, society for the study of social problem presents themselves as making it no secret at all. Exactly. Yeah, the other thing that I've always loved about the the Triple SP and this project as well is that uh, the people are a little bit less uh, concerned with 
status sorting than those in other other places I've visited. So, for example, I will sit down. Robert Perucci, who inspired this 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 overall project, he's a great example. Uh, was publishing in uh, ASR back in the 1960s, uh, so he's he's kind of a, a living legend in our field. And to this day, he'll just sit down and 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 talk to you, anybody. It doesn't, doesn't really matter. And so it's kind of how I came into it. I hear I was a doctoral student back in the 19, late 1990s and, uh, you know, go to, go to the triple SP meetings. And here are these people like, uh, you know, big names, uh, Dorothy Smith was a member, uh, Robert Perucci, uh, uh, Joel Best, these are people who like kind of we read as undergraduates and graduate students and we kind of, you know, revere. And so I just sit down with Robert Perucci and he says, like, you know, the first thing he asks you is like, you know, uh, what are you working on? Like, what, what are your ideas? Are you given a paper? What's your paper about? Right. He doesn't say like. Uh, who are you? Where are you from? What's your what's your rank? What's your status? Uh, you know, who's your advisor? He doesn't say any of that stuff. What have you done for me lately? He doesn't. He just says, "What are you working on now?" And what is the you know what is what's it about? And he wants to hear it. And I've seen him have conversations with anybody from you know the person who's like the former president of the ASA to an undergraduate student and everywhere in between. So it's one of the beauties of our of the ethos, I suppose, of our group. Uh, and so among these 32 scholars around the world, we also have people who have uh, positions in various at various ranks. So we have people who uh, uh, the person who wrote our uh, foreword was the former president of the International Sociological Association. Uh, we have uh, others who have been uh, highly uh, respected for for decades. However, we also have uh, many students. We have junior professors. We also have people who work in policy areas and and uh, policy positions, activist positions. And so, I think we can also be proud that we have a rather eclectic group that shows the how much interest there is about the social problems and their solutions at all ranks of academics from different fields, from people who work in policy, from people who are possibly in like kind of advocacy positions and, and those kinds of things. So it's really, um, I look at the series at each volume as a, a conversation. And as the editor, I look at myself as the convener of this conversation. What I, my job is to uh, bring the people together in a productive way and then as much as I can to to support and guide but largely if if it's moving forward in a in a positive way uh, what as in which it can be in a multiple multiple multiplicity of directions as well could be positive uh, I just sort of stand aside and let people let people work I, I, I kind of over the years I think uh, uh, really enjoy editing because it's about helping the person uh, who or the people who are writing their piece to reach the full potential of the impact of what they're attempting to write. And I think that um, 
if you if if they understand that uh, you know you're not asking them to do revisions because you want to make it difficult or you want to um, you know to to be in a position of power, but rather you're asking this for reasonable. You know, you can point out like, look, this piece is already has promise, but it hasn't reached its full impact yet. And if I suggest if you did this list of things, then this this piece would have a, a much, much stronger impact and would reach its a greater potential. And so, you know, uh, there is an aspect of there is an aspect of editing that involves taking people and sort of this uh, taking these pieces that people uh, propose or con- uh, contribute and deciding whether they have uh, the the quality and whether they're they're of a level that we would like to publish but beyond that it's it's largely a matter of trying to get the best out of to encourage the people to do the best to get the best out of their work with the whatever time they have available and also on our side as editors we have uh limited time as well. So sometimes we can't do everything. Um, but that, the other thing is that making sure that the contributions fit. Uh, so uh, in terms of academics, we're largely accustomed to writing articles, academic articles for journals, and the academic article is self-contained. So it stands on its own. I mean, it fits a certain topic, whether it's just, you know, Americans Journal of Sociology or or whatever. It fits the topic that is sociology, but it doesn't have to relate to any of the other articles in there. Well, when we have a book and we think about our readers, our readers will like to have a book where there's some coherence to it. It's not just a kind of a collection of standalone things, but there's some sort of thread that runs through them all. And so that's a that's a, uh, a challenge that we have sometimes is to sort of uh, communicate in a in a supportive way to the authors that we really uh, need you to conform to a certain kind of overall format and, and style and such, right? And and uh, to encourage them along those lines. Probably uh, one of the biggest challenges we have is uh, that our pieces, our topical pieces in the volume have three sections. And the three sections are a problem statement, sort of a definition of what is the problem. The second is a uh, definition or, or kind of an overview of what we know about the problem. This would be looking at various uh, kind of ways of understanding it and data forms that can help us to understand the, the nature and the extent of the problem. And then finally, to talk about solutions. And one of the challenges is that we want the solutions to be about half of each chapter. And so, uh, so social scientists are very good at providing information. So the early drafts that we often receive have a, you know, talk about the problem and here's what the problem and do, 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 and, and then now here's all the data and here's more data and here's some more data on top of that. And then at the end, often the solutions are seem to be like kind of uh, like the last point, right? But they're just kind of tacked on at the end. And so what we are, our approach is to say, like, look, if you're talking about something like uh, 
health inequalities or educational inequalities or say violence or racism, you know, uh, I, I think that uh, the the pitfall for many social scientists is, is that they think that if if you provide more information, then it's better. And I think we say like, no, we want to uh, concentrate on solutions. So if you can't sort of define the problem and give the major sources of data about the problem uh, in a way, you know, if the people don't care or ap- or apathetic or, you know, uh, giving them more data won't help them become care, you know, care about this issue. But, you know, for the people who are like, OK, yeah, here's a problem. I'm interested. And then here's the definition. Here's the data. And then we move into this area where it's like, here are the possible solutions. And then, you know, that's what our audience, what our audience wants. And I learned this in a way through teaching classes, um, social problems classes for for years, because, uh, you know, every not every, but most universities will have a course on social problems. And it's typically offered at like kind of the you know, 200 level, right? And it's kind of a survey course and all. Well, I heard feedback from my students that social problems class was like, you know, like the most depressing class that they ever took because it's like, okay, hey, guess what, students? This week we're talking about like homelessness, and, you know, and then they're like, ooh, that's, that's terrible, you know? And then, well, wait till next week when we talk about like, you know, violence, you know what I mean? And then the next week we'll talk about uh, drug drug problems and you know and so on. So by the end of like fifteen weeks, the students are are depressed and thinking the world is awful, right? And I thought, boy, that's really uh, not a good uh, instructional tactic. But it's also not what we uh, want to uh, <laughs> we want to convey to our students who are, you know, at the early, generally at the earlier <laughs> stages of life and, and optimistic and enthusiastic and such. So at the very beginning of our volume here, uh, you know, we often use the, uh, Marx's, uh, one of his, uh, thesis, the statement from the thesis of Forbach, which is, uh, you know, the, the philosophers, uh, heretofore have only studied, uh, society, the, the point is to change it. And uh, that forced me to think about like how I was leaving my students in the lurch, saying like I'm activating them and they care, but they actually become more apathetic when they care, but then there's nothing they can do about it. And so uh, we see the onus on us as kind of the communicators in this social problems uh, realm is to, to yes, activate people by telling them that program, uh, that problems exist and, and, you know, defining them and such, but then also to put forward some solutions that, uh, whether they're, uh, on a micro level, what individuals can do on a community level, on a national level or whatever. But, but to say that, um, these, you know, these problems are are there, but uh, remember that they are socially constructed, meaning that people made them, and so therefore there is inherently the potential that people can also solve or eliminate these social problems as well if we were to change uh, change what we're doing. And then also to know that we have an audience who 
don't don't really need convincing that there is a problem that exists. So why continue to spend most of the article showing data when really what's the important piece, as with, you know, for students as well in that social problems course, they're like, yeah, quit giving me all of these problems. Uh, you know, what's the solution? And I don't want to wait till the end of the course to get just a glimpse of light because that's that's about all that uh, many of these social problems books provide at the last, in the last chapter is a glimpse of light that, that might work out. But, but um, based on how much time we spent talking about problems, I don't know that our students are very confident and uh, I don't know that I'm very confident by the end of the semester either. Uh, So this is uh, related to our contributors in a way, many of the problems uh, that in many cases, the the solutions proposed uh, tend to be a bit to one, either too specific or to be too expansive. So in the case of uh, solutions being too specific, oftentimes they'll say, uh, okay, so uh, this policy ABC is something that that we should do everywhere. Uh, And even worldwide, we should do policy ABC. And we sort of uh, attempt to get our contributors to back off that oftentimes to say like a policy like such and such, a policy that has aspects of such. But also note that, you know, even within the United States, you would have so does a does, uh, you know, does a certain policy work for uh, all areas of the United States? Right. You have to like. You can't really say that a single policy will work in Los Angeles, uh, you know, downtown L.A. at the same time and way that it works on, say, like the the Navajo lands and, uh, you know, the northern slope of Alaska or, you know, uh, the Virgin Islands. I, I mean, you know, and so and the, it gets even more so uh, worldwide. So we sort of have to think about the different that that sort of like the generality of policies. Uh, the second thing is that we oftentimes get uh, solutions that are a bit too grandiose. So let, let's end capitalism or let's end patriarchy. Let's uh, abolish prisons. Right. And, and I mean, these might be, uh, these might be like kind of good, good like end points to work towards, in, in some ways. However, uh, what we want to convey is that we have a real kind of short to medium term relevancy. And that if you put these policies in a certain type of policy, then it's going to help in, in X way. And it's been, it's been demonstrated through, uh, through, you know, follow-up studies and, and such. Right. And so we try to get the, get the, uh, the contributors to spend half of their time on the solutions and then to spend uh, all of that time looking at uh, really kind of more practical, achievable types of things. Now, now it's not that I personally would object to something such as like, let's end patriarchy, right? So I'm not saying I have a personal or intellectual opposition to this. I'm just saying that you know, we, we sometimes run uh, the risk of being labeled by our, our uh, people who disagree with us as being like kind of too pie in the sky and, and kind of unrealistic. So, you know, what would be, what would be like concrete steps that we could take to, to reduce 
or eliminate patriarchy would be a, a, a more, uh, a better answer as far as uh, we're generally concerned than, than would be like, you just like, let's just burn the whole house down sort of thing, you know? And this is the same approach uh, for both edited versions, right? Both the U.S. social justice issue yeah. uh, and uh, the global agenda for social justice. Absolutely. And uh, we also have a limitation, which is that, you know, the Triple SP is a not for profit uh, organization. And so um, we cannot uh, uh, advocate for any, uh, for or against any political uh, candidate or, or, uh, party. Uh, we also um, uh, cannot advocate or lobby for or against any specific uh, legislation or, or policies. Um, so we run that risk, uh, if we did, of being uh, losing this not-for-profit, not-for-profit status that, the, uh, that is beneficial to the, uh, to the organization. And we do so by also by kind of hedging and saying a type of policy that we would like to see would be this. And then you could say, for example, here's, here's one of them, right. But not saying like house bill number, you know, 110, right. We're for or against, but, you know, saying that the type of goals that could be achieved by this type of policy are the ones that we would, that we would recommend happening around the different states, uh, countries, uh, national uh, governments and so on. All right. So, yeah, one of the questions that I had is a call for papers. If uh, if our audience members wanted to contribute to this upcoming U.S. social justice issue, when could they expect that to come out, and where might they find that at? Okay. Yeah. Thanks for for bringing that up. And uh, the the more interest we can generate, uh, the better, in my opinion. Uh, so we, we already are in the very early stages of planning a 2024 volume, which will have a U.S. focus. And uh, we issue a call for papers uh, probably uh, January 2023 and uh, February 2023. And so folks can find that definitely uh, if you're um, a member of the SSSP, uh goes out on the SSSP listserv uh, on the uh, the social media for the triple SP. I will also, uh, post it on undoubtedly on my, uh, social media and I'll send it out via various listservs and, uh, Facebook sites and so on for, uh, professional associations, um, and, and so on. And, and you also mentioned other ways to get involved, like in uh, rapid response with COVID-19. Uh, but my understanding is that there is another upcoming rapid response in 2023 that will be released. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, that's totally accurate. Uh, we already are uh, actually planning to launch a rapid response volume on the topic of um, mass incarceration uh, to be published about uh, August of 2023. And so uh, this is uh, looking at the 50 year mark, so to speak, of this age of mass incarceration in the United States. Uh, so if we go back to 1973, this was the, the beginning of what they called the Rockefeller drug laws passed by the New York State, uh, and which resulted in uh, frequently in uh, uh, 
urban uh, populations, say in like New York City, uh, many of them black and brown being uh, incarcerated for at length for uh, drug pro- uh, drug offenses. And so many of us look at this as, as kind of like the beginning of this age of mass incarceration. And so 2023 would mark the 50 years of that. And so it's time for us to get our opinions in there and to discuss uh, any number of issues about mass incarceration or related, uh, such as uh, the effects on communities, the uh, disenfranchisement of of people with felonies and uh you know maybe like re-entry problems um recidivism effects on recidivism and uh you know child welfare you know the effect it has on families and and things like that so the call for papers for that should go out uh in the next uh the next couple months actually so we're talking uh october uh november of 2022 and so it would be a very quick timeline where the uh, pieces would be uh, submitted for uh, publication uh, in, in less than a year. So by, by August of 2023. Excellent. And are there any other ways that you would uh, suggest or maybe even throw out for uh, audience members to, to get involved uh, in uh other publications or other opportunities that are associated with triple SP uh, or even, uh, you know, this publication? Well, the publication is, uh, you know, uh, if, if anyone ever has any, any uh, suggestions about how we can reach a, a, a greater audience or how we can uh, uh find find more and and different and and new contributors i'm happy to explore that uh happy to hear his suggestions um in in terms of the triple sp uh you know to become a member is uh is the probably the first uh, our volumes are available uh for as a as a part of the membership benefit. So our volumes are free for triple SP members. Uh, it's not a money-making type of, uh, endeavor. Uh, they're also available at, uh, you know, <clears throat> at a, at a reasonable cost, uh, if people, if people were to buy them. Um, but, um, we, we, generally are very at triple SP very welcoming of new members in particular. Uh, we, every year at our conferences, we have a new member breakfast where we get some people who have been around for a while and specifically go and, uh, try to have breakfast and have conversations with some of the new members. Um, some of them visitors from around the world, some of them, uh, students who are just, um, in the early stages of getting involved and, and so on. Uh, and but we're we have actually a great need for volunteerism in our organization. Uh, so there are a lot of posts uh, in terms of maybe uh, just a lot of committees and a lot of ways that people can make a contribution. Probably the best way is that we have these divisions uh, which focus on specific topic areas like community development, crime and delinquency, drugs and alcohol, and so on. And uh, to attend the business meetings for these uh, is, is probably the, the grassroots way to get involved because that's where they plan certain sessions. They plan what their groups are going to be doing and, and so on. And I think um, 
sometimes I see some people say like uh, they may they may f- be afraid that they have to have a certain position, like do I have to have a PhD or do I have to have a faculty position or do you know whatever to get involved? And the answer is no. I mean, we have people who are undergraduates uh, who have been have been very involved as well, and so. Um, it's 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 something that I recommend, and for students in particular to join, it's, it's actually very inexpensive. Uh, that's one of the one of the benefits of the Triple SP is that we we deliberately keep the 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 fee uh, the the membership fee very low for undergraduates, uh, not not only undergraduates but students in general. Yes. Excellent. Well, I look forward to, um, you know, this is only the beginning of uh, our discussion on global agenda for social justice. My, my plan is with this series is to continue moving through the book, you know, starting at the front with our conversation today, Glenn, and then continuing to talk to contributors uh, who who wrote pieces and uh, that were published in this book. So really, the, the story is only starting today, and it will continue, uh, continue forward, uh, hopefully uh, talking to somebody about, you know, once every week once every other week and and really getting this conversation out to the to the masses and i look forward to uh to continuing this conversation well into the future not only with global uh the global agenda for social justice too but also um future publications of this of this book and also to uh u.s social justice issues which will be out in uh, a couple years yeah, thank you so much, and I, I would like to compliment you, uh, Michael, on on your role here in uh, bringing uh, our what we do, uh, not only my project but the projects of uh, the publications of many uh, others in our field, to bringing it to a, a wider audience. I think. Uh, we, you know, the, to move into new media forms and to look for audiences, to engage them where they where they live. In this case, in the podcast sphere, is is the way that uh, the way that we should be going. And so, thank you so much for your series and for welcoming me. And in particular, in uh, I'll thank you in advance for uh, the, the discussions with uh, your uh, contributors for our volume. Thank you again. This is another episode of New Books and Sociology. Again, New Books and Sociology is a channel on the New Books Network. Uh, Have a great day. Thank you so much.